Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode 248 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your husky voice co-host, Mark Blankenship, and with me as ever is my dulcet-toned co-host, Sarah DeBunting. Hello, Sarah. Uh, hello. We uh, we have the same whiskey voice going today. <laughs> yes, we do. <coughs> well, Sarah, you brought a song to the table today. Which song is it? Uh, I brought a song in two iterations. It is Wild Horses, um, originated by the Stones of Rolling in 1971. And uh, then the way that I came to this song first, um, despite having listened to this album from my parents' collection when I was a kid, it's off the Sticky Fingers album. Uh, The version that I sort of imprinted on was the Sunday's version. Uh, which was from their 1992 album Blind, um, which uh, I have I feel a lot of ways about. Um, I believe this was originally a Graham Parsons slash Flying Burrito Brothers lyric, and there are myriad versions of this song, actually, including a Flying Burrito Brothers version that is almost indistinguishable from the Rolling Stones version with one critical difference, which I will talk about after we hear a clip from the Rolling Stones version. I uh, there are, I tried to clip the same sequence in both songs. Um, I'm not sure how well they line up, but there are some comparisons and contrasts that I would like to talk about between the two. Before I play the clip, Mark, any chart facts to share um just that you are correct that the flying burrito brothers recorded it first jagger and richards mick and keith wrote the song the burrito brothers with graham parsons sang it first then the rolling stones put it on sticky fingers and it's one of those songs that did not chart especially high despite its ongoing cultural impact it only peaked at number 28 on the hot 100 in 1971 And that's not really very high at all for a song that I would say is among one of the songs from this period that you can expect someone to have heard. Um, Yep, I agree. Uh, It has, it sort of had a renaissance in this iteration in the early aughts. It was an adaptation. Um, Parks and Rec used it for Lil Sebastian's funeral. Oh my God. If that means anything to anyone. The fact that this is the song that was playing at Little Sebastian's funeral is one of the best things about Parks and Recreation, uh, a I show mean, with many great elements. Yes, I agree. That show is not always for me, but every now and then they do something so perfect that you just have to stand back and, and nod your head. Um, as does Keith Richards sometimes, and we're going to talk about that. But first, here's a clip from the Rolling Stones version of Wild Horses. Wild horses. 
I uh, clipped that. I left that clip a little bit long to get that guitar break in there because I always forget how well Keith Richards can do that that plaintiveness, that um, just, uh, you know, lonely staring out the window of some vehicle that you wish you were sharing with someone and you're not. Um, apparently this song, like the lengths that various people involved with its birth have gone to to say that it's not really about Marianne Faithful suggests that it totally is from the time when she was um, like just breaking every heart in British rock and roll. Um, but it, it doesn't really matter. I think that lyrically, um, this really gets at, uh, a certain fellowship of the heartbroken, um, Mm. that, you know, that it's about that sort of broken person who would be right, would be exactly right for you, but you know, except that they're totally wrong and don't care and you can't manage to leave them at the curb. Um, and there's something about the lyric, uh, let's do some living after we die. Um, that's again, that, that fellowship of the devastated that's like, well, let's just, you know, all have a glass of whiskey together and, and toast to the fact that we're all going to die alone because the Marianne faithfuls in our lives are off fucking Eric Clapton or whatever was happening. Um, and this is a lyric that um, is always changed by people who cover the song. It's not always changed in the same way, but I think that that subtracts from subtracts from the atmosphere um but then at the same time i don't think that mick jagger's delivery on the verses is ideal for this song either so it's a funny puzzle that um so many acts have tried to crack like alicia keys and adam levine did a version of this i don't know if you're aware oh wow yeah Uh, i i wouldn't seek it out it's um, sort of interesting. Like if you love the song and you're interested in how different people interpret it, but like Alicia Keys is just like too much, um, too much strength for this song. Like there's not nearly enough despair in my opinion. And then she changes the lyric to like, let's do some living before we die. Like that's not, now it doesn't mean the same thing thing like now you're sort of embracing life versus embracing nihilism it's not quite the same anyway this is this is quite a composition um in how many multitudes it can contain and that artists can make choices within it that i don't agree with and still speak to me about about the choices that they've made in their romantic lives so that's what i'm thinking after hearing the first clip I've been talking for like a week. Mark, your thoughts. Um, yeah. Intellectually, I appreciate this song. I've never liked it ever. Hmm. I, I just And why is that, me, former friend? Let me, if I may, quote, as I often do, the great Swedish artists Roxette. They have a greatest hits album that's called Don't Bore Us, Get to the Chorus. Mm-hmm. And my experience with this song has always been that I find the verses incredibly boring and very hard to hook onto. I can never pay attention to them. I don't know what it is. There's just something about them that I find so diffuse and sonically uninteresting that I could be actually dedicated to paying attention to them and still my mind wanders. 
I know this for a fact because that's what happened this week. And uh, then when the chorus comes, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this part. So to <laughs> me, the experience of this song is just a chorus that I like and then some other shit that I um, endure. And okay. I am aware that, as I often am when it comes to music of this period, I am in the great minority. I understand that for many people, Wild Horses is like the most beautiful song ever written. If you, you If you read any YouTube comment about Wild Horses, you will know that many people feel this way. Yeah, but I don't know. For me, it's just like it's kind of a nothing burger. I don't know it's, why. It it's just so is. funny. Like I, I'm not surprised to hear this. I, you know, this is episode 248, and I, you know, live in not just the world, but your world, and <laughs> uh, so I'm not surprised to hear that. But uh, I made a note that like I was surprised all over again at how long this song is. But my next <laughs> note was like, I bet Mark felt every second of it in his ass. <laughs> Like what? I keep I keep wanting this song to be "Fade Into You" by Mazzy Star, mm-hmm. which is that whenever I'm singing it to myself, I sing the chorus and then I immediately go to, "I want to hold the hand inside you." Wait, that's that's a song I really like. Mm-hmm. So my brain my brain refuses to let me know Wild Horses. It just wants "Fade Into You" plus the chorus. Who knows what? Yeah. Um- let us move on then to the Sundays. Like this is why I have this um, sort of higher tolerance, I would say, for this song is that Blind is one of my favorite albums by one of my favorite artists. It came out when I was in college. Um, my then boyfriend, when the album came out, and I and John Ramos, um, n- not the boyfriend in question. Uh, just making that clear, uh, adored this band. And we were like all on our own, even knowing who they were, basically. And then I broke up with this guy and the album just soundtracked every melodramatic moment that I had for like the next six months. I did a lot of walking with my disc man and feeling, you know, Brontean and bleak and this is the last track on the disc and so uh, like this really um hit it on the screws so to say for me in a way that i think if it hadn't timed out with this guy and at that in that relationship narrative it might not have but then it shows up in the buffy prom episode and Mark, would you would you like to um, speak on the Sunday's Wild Horses um, n- notoriety in in film? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I would because this is actually how I first learned the song. Oh, I also no. learned it through the Sunday's version, and I will say that I think that Harriet Wheeler's voice is so perfectly suited for what this song is about. Agree. And I actually do think that their version is better than the Rolling Stones version. So do I. I find it more emotionally um, plangent, I guess, would be the word I'm looking yes, for. Yes, it is. And if I were to have – if I have to listen to Wild Horses, I want to listen to this version. Partly because, like you, it is the first version I knew. And partly because it is forever connected to me with the scene in the 1996 movie Fear where – Mark Wahlberg finger bangs Reese Witherspoon on a roller coaster. <laughs> oh God. I mean, it's this song and then it's an actor, not him, uh, Reese Witherspoon, who, with whom I share a birthday. So it's like, oh, everything's coming up Buncey in a question mark. 
I mean, and honestly, if you don't know the movie Fear, which if you weren't a teenager or young person, like 20 something in 1996, you probably don't. I'm actually going to tell you that you should watch it because it's so it's a lifetime movie it's, that somehow got it's like, future Oscar nominees to star in it. Yeah. And William Peterson is a total dilf in it. I mean, in my opinion. But this, like, when you go on YouTube and you enter the search term fear finger blast, there are like 78 channels that clipped just this scene. And then the yep. comments are so funny. Like, Reese is actually really good in this. Anyway, we should get back to the song because. But, you know, I will say, like, there are a lot of songs that are not permanently bed in, uh, wedded in my mind to a scene from a movie. And this one really is like. It is actually great cinematically at contrasting the deep emotion of the song with the illicit sexuality of the moment. It it adds a patina of innocence to what's happening, and that puts you in the mindset of Reese Witherspoon's character. Yeah. Because the whole point of this scene is that Reese Witherspoon becomes attached to this guy who later proves to be dangerously crazy because she's innocent. And she has a moment that perhaps an older person would realize is not a sign of true love, but mm. <laughs> she doesn't know any better. And the no. song does so much work of telling you what her emotional state is in this scene that is so shocking. And that contradiction is incredibly memorable. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think it was the perfect choice for the prom episode too. Certainly John Ramos and I watching Buffy in our like separate households both lurched to the phone when we heard the chords of this song on the soundtrack and, uh, you know, Buffy has just received the Class Protector Award, which is a beautiful moment. And uh, then Giles and Buffy are talking about how, you know, he's like, I don't think I've ever seen a, a group of children act so generously. And then she says, well, you know, people can surprise you. And then he looks over her shoulder and sees that Angel has showed up in a taxado to be Buffy's prom date after much agita. And Anthony Stewart head is the fucking best. He's like the only thing I would save out of Buffy, which has really not held up that well. But he's like, yeah, every now and then and just sort of like points his chin and then she sees Angel and then Wild Horse is like comes up on the soundtrack and it just like I watched it again on YouTube and was destroyed um, by everything in that scene, by all the sort of longing and uh, star crossedness of it. But, uh, you know. Harriet makes some choices in the sequence that we're about to hear, and she does change that lyric. She gets by with it because she's Harriet, but uh, see what you think. Uh, this clip is a little long. It's going to feel even longer to Mark. Sorry, Mark. Here we go. Oh, I 
The guitar isn't quite as plaintive on this one, but her voice, like, I, I didn't even make any notes. Like, what can you even say? And it's it's such a wonderful evolution, too, from the first album, which was, like, I think a little more um, sincere and close to its own emotions. Mm. But also she was having, she was like the baby in The Incredibles. She was, like, having just a little trouble controlling <laughs> Like she, she sneezes and something bursts into flames um, versus on uh, Blind, where she's definitely much more in control of the instrument. Um, and then the next album, Static and Silence, she had like another step of remove from those emotions that sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. Yeah, I mean, either you're into the Sunday's sort of dream pop, wandering on a moor, crying and wearing a lot of um, brown tweed, or you're not. I always have been for, Jesus, over 30 years. Fucking kill me. Um, but that this song occasionally um, ensorcels the, the um, pop music imagination and the soundtrack imagination and then kind of goes away again for a while is fascinating mm. to me. And I'm also fascinated by like, it's like people covering it just don't want to deal with the lyric being after we die. Like that, that has a different meaning than, or why don't we die or before we die? Or then why don't we just die? Like after we die, like, you know, this is the drink after the war. This is the, you know, the fellowship of the emotionally scarred. After we die is the lyric. And I just, I wish she had used it. Then I think it would be a perfect song. But uh, it's pretty close. Pretty close. And I recommend this whole album if you're really feeling broody. It's fantastic. I will say that because of you and this show... I now know and deeply adore the song. Here's where the story ends, mm -hmm. which I realized that for the Sundays is, I guess the song that everyone knows by them, but I didn't know it until we recorded episode 100 low these many years ago. But, uh, I have definitely become a Sundays fan because of our time together on this show. Mm. And I think static and silence is probably a little more your lane. It's a little less phantom, but I mean, Everything that Phoebe Bridgers does that I love is something that she, like, is dressing in fucking <laughs> the Sunday's clothes, basically, which is fine. Good, like, you know, good rip, as they say. I was thinking about the fact that I was thinking about you when Taylor Swift released the new version of her album Red, and now there's a song with Phoebe Bridgers on there. Uh-huh. And I was like, whoa. I know. That's sort of a, a surprise combination of worlds. Yeah. Taylor Swift and Phoebe Bridgers. I mean, I feel like I'm one of seven people who doesn't have a strong opinion about T-Swift in either direction, but I will always say this. She is really smart. Yes. She knows what's up. Mm-hmm. And she'll try some shit, and she doesn't care because she doesn't have to, and I I respect that. Now, now let me ask you this. Who... Uh, do, who do you think should cover this song next? Mm. Well, I mean, obviously let's take Adele. Bridgers as a given. Oh, Adele. Ooh, okay. Like, I just think that Adele could really do some shit with this song because she's got such control of her voice uh -huh. and she can really work 
grief into her voice in such a unique way. Uh huh. Phoebe Bridgers, yes, I I I second that emotion as well. Let's uh, see. Should someone try to do like a dance version? Oh, I mean, I'm not mad. I would give it a shot. Yeah, why not? You know what else I would be interested in hearing? The Jason Isbell version of this. Yes, song. I was just gonna say Isbell, Walker Hayes, um, Willie Nelson. I would listen. Yeah. To Ooh, Willie Nelson. Like at this point in his life, is a pretty good selection as well. Yeah. And um, who's a who's a I don't I don't actually want to hear Dolly Parton try to do this. I don't know why. No, I feel like that this isn't the right lane for her. Yeah. Somehow. No, I agree. But if, you know, Patsy Cline were still with us, she would have, you know, ripped the strings out of this bodice for sure. Ooh, well, nice image. Nice Mm -hmm. imagery work there. Yeah. I think it would be nice to hear a version of this song, and maybe this version exists and I just don't know it, that really gets a dramatic crescendo instrumentally at the end. Uh-huh. Where it just sort of the wild horses unleash in uh-huh. a way. That's that might exist. Listeners, if that version exists, please do let us know because I will go listen to it. Yeah, and I'm wondering what would happen if you just picked up the pace a little bit. Just a little. Yeah, that's like, that's my feeling too. Like you don't have to turn it into like a Tennessee waltz or anything like that, but like if you put um I don't know, like put Amy Mann and Michael Penn on it. And just pick it up or change the time signature or something. You have really just nailed why I've never been able to pay attention to this song. I think it is actually too slow for me. Yeah. I mean, like the Sunday's version, like you kind of know what you're going to get with that because they're all about the atmospherics. And it's like they're just not going to get in and out of a song in under three minutes usually. And the original is quite long. So you just like you go with it because they're sort of building a, a sonic room for you it's right it's all dark gray but they are they are doing that um but like yeah like there is a lot more um sort of uh, i don't know how else to put this so i'm just gonna try this phrase and hope that y'all can hang with it legible fart sniffing (laughs) in the original it's like oh look look at this composition look at how great we are we're the rolling stones Cabbage. Like, uh, you could pick it up a little. It doesn't have to be five minutes. Right. Well, I feel like we've issued the assignment, and I look forward to someone picking it up and returning it, and we'll give you good marks just for trying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you love as much as I love you You wouldn't worry me Half as much as you do You're- Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at markandsarahtalkaboutsongs.com. 
You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah, with an H, talkaboutsongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash mastass. Thanks for listening. I know that I would never be this Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.